So church family, good to see you. Would you pray with me and ask God to bless the preaching of the word? Heavenly Father, give us eyes of faith to see the significance of this baby born in Bethlehem. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Beauty for ashes. Have you heard that phrase? Beauty for ashes is common in Christian circles, and it means that you can expect hope even when situations look hopeless. Beauty for Ashes is actually a popular Christian book uh, written by Joyce Meyer, and a little about her story. She grew up in in kind of a hard way with a, a series of abuse, and yet speaks how God redeemed that period of her life and led her to forgive uh, the one who had abused her. Beauty for Ashes is something that I believe we all need to believe in. It's a relevant word. It's a helpful world, word. Because at one point or another, I think we've all been tempted to give up on hope. We've all been tempted maybe in this area of my life to not expect hope to come from there. Or maybe even a season of our life to say nothing good can come from that season. You know, as I was considering all the hopeless periods of life, my mind raced to a little bit of American history. And I thought, what was it like Christmas during the Great Depression? Christmas during the Great Depression. So here's a picture um, back in the day. Um, and, and just so you know that the state of things, a common gift at that time, a big gift, you ready? An orange. An orange that I guess came with some nuts and some candies, but an orange was significant, a fruit that was rare at that time, a prize. I was reading a little about those who grew up during the Great Depression. Uh, one has signified that he got not only an orange, but a pocket knife, and his Christmas was made because of a pocket knife. This story kind of reminds me of how I grew up. I grew up Lutheran circles, uh, still Lutheran, and uh, after our kids' Christmas service, We'd go back to the classroom, find a brown paper bag, and inside of that bag, sure enough, was an orange and nuts and candy. Never the good candy, though. Anyone else know those bags? Anyone else get those bags? Yeah, yeah. And then I think, like, if you guys gathered with your house, and all you had to celebrate as a family is that you were giving each other oranges, how much hope would be in that celebration? pretty dire, I think. Standards have changed. And then I did some work in history and found how did they come out of the Great Depression? Kind of an unexpected way. If you're a historian, you probably know. The war. A war helped them out of a hopeless situation. A war that mobilized the people, along with the government and Roosevelt's New Deal. Now, war and a government as solutions to the problem, that, that comes maybe unexpected. The reason I bring this up is because today we're getting into a text from Isaiah. And this text reminds us of the Christmas message. And if you're wondering the essence of the Christmas message, it's our first fill-in. That Christmas is the ultimate message of hope in hopeless circumstances. Now, the lesson we consider is not going to talk about beauty for ashes. It's not going to talk about an orange for Christmas. You know what it's going to talk about? 
It's going to talk about a branch growing from a stump. Now, I'm not an arborist. I don't know much about stumps. But I do know that when I'm walking and I see one, I do not expect that it's going to grow a branch. I do not expect that that branch will bear fruit that I could harvest. That, that's not my expectation when I come to a stump. I don't know about you. And yet that's what Isaiah says. Isaiah says when it looks hopeless, hope's going to sprout. All because of God. All because of the Christmas message. Isaiah 11 says it this way. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. Now let me explain a little about what was going on. Isaiah the prophet had just referenced that Israel, the 12 tribes, were like this great tree. God's people. In glory and might and majesty. And yet they were going to be cut down. And Isaiah lived through it. In 721, 10 of those tribes were cut down by the nation of Assyria, and they didn't remain. Only two remained, Benjamin and Judah. They became one, and yet they were just a stump. Isaiah prophesies exile. He, he lives during a time where the 70 years of Babylonian exile are still to come. So if ever there was a hopeless circumstance, it's when Isaiah was living, as he just saw those nations destroyed as now just a stump remains. In fact, after Isaiah and the prophets, there's a period about 500 years where there was no new revelation from God. No prophet sent to Judah. From Malachi until the very first Christmas was a very silent time of hopelessness. Until Christmas. Until Joseph, who is in the line of David and Jesse, went to Bethlehem, and there gave birth to a son that we call Jesus. And that gave us hope. And that hope, that branch, he bore fruit, fruit for us, fruit that lasts to eternal life. And so today we're going to talk more about reasons for hope, and we're going to do it through the lens of a song called Behold a Branch is Growing. We're in the third week of the Songs of Christmas, uh, man, if you were here last week, I, I don't know about you, but Mary, did you know in that rendition, that is still ringing in my ears. That was just beautiful. That was awesome. Well, well today, a little bit about the music that we're exploring. If you're a historian, um, you might have heard of the song, Of the Father's Love Begotten. That's actually a song that goes back to the 300s AD. That's how old that song is. Today, behold, the branch is growing. You know where it comes from? 1500s. In fact, in German, let me try to get it right, it's Es ist ein Rose entsprungen, for all you Germans. <laughs> and it's beautiful language, beautiful message of hope based on Isaiah 11. Let's look just at uh, verse 1. Behold, a branch is growing of loveliest form and grace. As prophets sang foreknowing, it springs from Jesse's race and now begins to flower. In the midst of coldest winter, at deepest midnight hour. There the poet says that the hopeless periods, they're kind of like the coldest winter. <laughs> they're kind of like the deepest midnight. And yet even in those places, a flower is blooming, a branch is growing that will bear fruit. So what do I want to share with you? Hope. That's my prayer for you that we would be a people of hope. And hope in general, but also my prayer 
is that God would bring hope to whatever you would label your coldest winter and your darkest midnight. That he would redeem it and comfort you as we apply the light of Jesus' love to that area. So let's dive into some rich words from Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, feel free to follow along again on the screen. Worship folders are in your Bible this morning. Uh, here we go. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. With righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. But they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Such rich words that we get to dive into and just dwell on today. Uh, could you say out louder to someone next to you that hope is here? Hope is here. Hope is here. All right. I don't know about you, but uh, for children at Christmas, they have an innate sense of fairness, of right and wrong. Let me explain how it happens. If you have a sibling and your sibling gets, uh, let's say, AirPods and all you get is fancy socks, you are either going to say or think internally that's not fair. If you're observing um, your older uh, siblings getting prizes along the way of life, like graduating from eighth grade or graduating from high school, and now Christmas is bigger because of it, if you don't get the same items or equivalent when you reach that stage, you might say, unfair. Now, I know this from my own life. I am the youngest, uh, which you guys know is the best, um, but... Uh, often overlooked uh, when it comes to these things. And so um, I would take tally of what my older brother would get along the way uh, when, when he graduated eighth grade, when he graduated high school, and I just thought it'd be fair to give me the same things. That was my internal sense of fairness. And if it didn't happen, my parents may have heard about it. I don't know about you. So there is this sense of fairness going on in our families. I don't know what you do to solve it. Maybe you give, you know, the same money amount to each child. Maybe you have those expectations for certain levels. But what we see in our children is they want justice. Now that's true of adults as well, isn't it? But I'm not just talking about Christmas here. We have an innate sense of what is right and wrong, and there's something in us that cries out and says, I want justice. I was considering this as I was studying PTSD. Have you heard of that? Post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, there was a classmate of mine, a pastor in New York, who wrote a book on this. Uh, he said there really hasn't been much Christian devotional work on the subject 
And so he wrote a book entitled Deep as the Sea to kind of describe that some hurts go that deep. And if you know anything about PTSD, you know the, the reasons that you might get it are pretty dire. You might get it after experiencing uh, war, after seeing the, the worst of life. Uh, he wrote about it because he had a near-death experience. Uh, you might get it because of sexual or domestic abuse, the, the heaviest parts of life. And as I was listening to his devotions, his thoughts on the topic, he confirmed something that I had only sensed. He confirmed that one of the most comforting things you can tell someone struggling with unfairness is that God has retribution. Is that God is the avenger. That God will make an accounting for every wrong that has ever been done. That made sense to me. It made sense to me because I think we still feel the same as adults. We want to know there is justice. And I think it answers maybe some of the reason we experience a coldest winter and a midnight darkest, darkness. And the answer of hope is this. It's our next fill-in. That hope is ours through Jesus. Because there will be justice. He will have an accounting for every wrong, and he will get it right. Look at how Isaiah described him. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or render decisions based on what he hears with his ears. That's what other people do, and they get it wrong. The court of public approval, the, the, the human courts, that's what they do, and they don't always get it right. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor, and he will render fair decisions in the favor of the oppressed on the earth. Isn't that what we saw in Jesus when he went to the temple? When he saw injustice there, basically um, the rich taking advantage of the poor as they sought to worship God, what did he do? He flipped over the tables. He made a whip. Get out of here. I cannot stand this injustice. I cannot stand the wrongdoing going on. That is the God born at Christmas. The God who comes to bring justice. You know, I love how Paul talked about God's justice in the form of Jesus Christ. In Romans 3, there is just this beautiful section. We've been considering it in Bible class. And I want you to consider uh, these words. It says, God did this, basically sent Jesus as Savior. He did this, why? To demonstrate his justice. Since in his divine restraint, he had left the sins that were committed earlier unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time so that he would be both just and the one who justifies the person who has faith in Jesus. Yes, God will bring justice. But what's interesting is that is a principle that not only comforts, but if we're honest, it also convicts. Because you and I haven't just been the victim. At times we've been the victimizer. People on the other ends of our words and actions and our thoughts, they've been hurt too. And yes, we might have a reason why we got there. And yes, hurt people hurt people. But regardless of the reason, sin is still sin. As wrong is still wrong. And so as we stand before a holy God, 
the convicting reality is that this holy God should also condemn us. Except for Jesus. The beauty of this baby is that he enters in and he gives us a different option. To sinners who cannot stand in front of a holy God, he says, okay, there's one option you could pay for your sins. Or I could. And that's what he comes to do. And this Christ of Christmas gives us the right to be called children of God. The Christ of Christmas, he takes us from victim or victimizer to victorious because of what he has done. And the light of the world, he's broken our own darkness so that we can live in peace. And I love that analogy of light and darkness. You know what it reminds me of is... Um, as a kid going to Carlsbad Caverns, I want to show you a picture of what that looks like. You know, I've been to Carlsbad Caverns. Beautiful place. Put it on the bucket list. Uh, miners found these caves underground. And it's interesting, as you go underground and there's no light pollution, if you turn the lights off, that is darkness. It gets so dark that if your hand is in front of your face, you have no idea where it is. You have no idea where anything is. You can't see. But it only takes a single light. For you to see everything, the room, those around you, that's what light does. It always breaks darkness. And that's what Jesus does. He breaks the darkness of this world and of our lives to bring hope and peace. And there are more reasons for hope. Let's continue. You know, this is a great time of year, not just because of the music, but also because of the movies. Do you have a favorite Christmas movie? For me, uh, lately it's been Elf. Um, I don't know if you've seen the, the new one, Spirited, uh, Will Ferrell. Um, for me now, um, you know, living in the Chicago area, on my bucket list of Chicago areas, seeing the Home Alone house, um, classic. The, the one that I don't really get is the Christmas story, um, kind of depressing, you know, shooting your eye out and stuff like that. But anyway, um, but I bring this up because if you would look at uh, these characters, uh, Kevin and Buzz, you would see that they are people naturally that don't get along. <laughs> Oldest brother, youngest. And if you know this scene, you know soon Kevin's going to get mad because Buzz ate all the pizza. It'll be a soda episode. Huh? If you see the second movie, you know, uh, you're going to have a choir episode where the whole choir falls down all because of the hostility between Kevin and Buzz. Do you know groups of people or pairings like that that are just natural-born enemies? Some of you football fans might think of Bears and Packers. Hockey fans might think of the Blackhawks and what is it, the Red Wings? Help me out. Is that it? All right. Um, you might think of other people that just naturally don't get along. Uh, we could go into political things. I won't touch it too much, but maybe there are people that don't get along in political things. <laughs> What's interesting about our lesson today is that Isaiah is putting together and pairing things that don't naturally get along. Uh, consider the words. You can look in your lesson once again. Um, he, he pairs a lion and a calf. He pairs a, a wolf and a lamb. He pairs a little child playing with snakes, a snake's nest, and yet not getting bitten. That doesn't happen, not in a sinful world. And so what is the message of Christmas? What, what is Isaiah trying to get us to find that Christ brings? 
What he's bringing is peace. Peace to natural-born enemies. Peace that the world rarely sees. And that's our next takeaway. One of the reasons we can have hope through Jesus, because he brings peace to our unlikely places. It's a peace that extends from a holy God to sinners who shouldn't stand before him. What right do we have to expect anything good from a holy God, we as sinners? And yet because of Jesus, he doesn't just call us sinners. He calls us sons and daughters. He gives us the rights of heirs. That's incredible. And this peace that can extend in unlikely places now is from victim to victimizer. So back to Joyce Meyer, if you know her story. It was her dad that did such awful things as she was growing up. And yet later on in her life, she not only chose to forgive her dad, but be his caretaker. Can you imagine? Extending that kind of peace to someone who did so much damage. Now, she has been known for saying why she did this. And look at this incredible confession. When I realized how much God forgives me every day, I realized his abundant mercy towards me. And in turn, I was able to show mercy and forgiveness to my father. It will be much easier for you to be merciful with others once you're fully aware of how much mercy God offers you. That's peace in an unlikely place. And it's peace that Joyce Meyer says we should extend to others as well. And what could be the result of this, of extending peace, of being a peacemaker, giving it to those who have hurt us? Isaiah has this beautiful picture in our last verse. He says, They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the earth. I can't wait for that day. That holy mountain where we will never experience harm or be destroyed. Not me to someone else, not someone else to me. It'll only be good. Lord, haste that day. This passage reminds me how the first coming of Jesus does point to his second coming. You know, in the first coming, only a few saw him. The shepherds and those near Bethlehem. In his second coming... Every eye will see and every knee will bow. In his first coming, he comes in humility, born in a barn, placed in a manger. In his second coming, he will come with glory. And everyone will know that he is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. In his first coming, his mission was to rescue, to redeem us. In his second coming, simply to gather all who have faith in him. And one of the reasons you can have hope today is this. Because someday, winter and darkness will be forever over. We won't have to worry about it. We won't have to talk about how hurt people hurt people. Because we will only be peacemakers. We will only live in love. When I consider that, I get impatient. I don't know about you. I want some of that now. I don't like the darkness. I don't like the winter. You know, I consider how Christmas is often a time of impatience as well. Do you have those who want to know what they're getting for Christmas earlier? 
Uh, maybe it's the child who goes to that present under the tree and starts shaking it. Is it closed? Technology. Maybe it's the person who just keeps bothering, what'd you get me, what'd you get me, what'd you get me? Like Delilah and Samson. Or maybe you have the uh, child who is audacious enough to try to go into mom and dad's bedroom, either the closet or under the bed, and scout it out. I can't wait to see what I got. I bring it up because I think it's a natural Christian sentiment to long for what Isaiah prophesied. The day that we will neither hurt nor destroy. I think you can say rightly, and not suicidal at all, the the words of Paul, that as long as I live, I live for Christ. But man, if I would die, (laughs) that would be gain. I can't wait for that day. But here's the good news. As I was doing research on Isaiah 9, it wasn't just a someday that Isaiah was talking about. It wasn't just heaven. See, the holy mountain is not just heaven. It's the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? It's a kingdom of faith. Wherever believers are, wherever Christ is at the center, that's when we can experience the prophecy that Isaiah had. That you and I, living for the Lord and empowered by the Spirit, can show glimmers of that better day to one another and how we operate. For consider what, again, God wants from our lives. The fruit coming from the branch. Some of you are familiar with this passage, the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit that God wants for us, empowered by the Spirit, is love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now tell me, when someone is filled with these, who gets hurt? No one! When we have these in abundance, we no longer hurt people, we heal people. We no longer mirror the darkness, we mirror the light. And people appreciate it. And so our God says, haste the day to neither harm nor destroy. Be part of that activity. And so our next step for today is this, to bring the light of God's peace into an area of darkness. That's our charge. Now, a simple way to do that is just to use this invitational card to think about a family member or a friend who may not know the light of the world and invite them to Christmas, to walk with them in this place so that they can know just how great God's love is. Beyond that simple one, maybe it's light for your own experience. That midnight darkness, that coldest winter, something you did, and just to finally apply God's grace to it. Maybe it's the Navy SEALs activity of forgiving someone else. Saying even before they apologize, even though it was so wrong, I'm going to extend light to that thing. An inspiring story of someone who did this is Corey Tenboom. You know her story. If you don't, she was Dutch and lived through the Holocaust. Her family housed the Jews, tried to protect them. And during this time, uh, she was actually uh, sent to a concentration camp herself. An examiner came and uh, found guilty the worst could happen. The examiner thought that maybe her household had um, stolen some of the rations from the storehouse, and so she admitted she didn't do that. 
didn't tell what she did do. But in talking to the examiner, she shared her faith. That her true activity was to share Jesus to the mentally handicapped. And as she shared Jesus, the examiner kind of changed in his mood and emotions. Wanted to know more. They kept talking and got to a point where Corey could ask the examiner, is there any darkness in your life? To which he said, yeah, there is. He said he dreads every new day. That he hates his job. And that he's scared for his family who's apart from him right now during the war. Don't know how they're doing. His wife and his children. After he opened up, Corey said these words. Jesus bore your sins also on the cross. There is no darkness so great that Jesus cannot dispel it. What an amazing peace bringer. Do you believe that last part? I pray for God's spirit to believe it. That light can overcome our darkness. May we be the ones who continue to share that message. May we be the ones that keep hope in all circumstances. May God revive us once again. Amen. And the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, may it guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. This time we have the opportunity to share our faith, confess a common faith. We'll use the words of the Apostles' Creed this morning. Say together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.